This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to the Hemp Present Resistance, weekly radio podcast where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat the alternative facts of prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, entering its 28th year found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book, Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at hempfest.org. Today's guests on Hempresent are attorneys Joshua Horn and Bill Bagot of the Cannabis Law Practice at Fox Rothschild. Josh Horn is the co-chair of the firm's Cannabis Law Practice and has an extensive background in several areas of legal cannabis business law. He is a highly sought-after authority on complex cannabis law issues. Joshua represents major financial services companies in matters throughout the country. He also represents financial advisory companies, individual advisors, and counselors in FINRA, or Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, examinations, enforcement, and arbitrations. Bill Bagot represents clients in highly regulated industries, particularly gaming and cannabis. He has worked for all three branches of Illinois government, the executive, legislative, and judiciary. However, Bill represents clients nationwide, both in regulatory matters and civil litigation. Bill is also co-chair of 
Fox's cannabis law practice and counsels clients in the medical and recreational cannabis space in multiple states across the country. Fox's nationwide cannabis law practice is one of the largest in the nation with more than 50 attorneys experienced in a range of regulatory issues. They counsel growers, distributors, processors, investors, and others, including suppliers of ancillary products and services in corporate, regulatory, mergers, acquisitions, litigation, and tax matters. The National Law Journal has recognized Josh and Bill as trailblazers in cannabis law, and I have them both with me today to blaze a trail through this episode. Welcome, gentlemen, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, do you guys both blaze something other than just a trail? But but wait, maybe you don't want, maybe you shouldn't answer that. (laughs) Um, Not on the radio. Yeah, that's right. Let, let's start off with how you both became involved in cannabis business law. Was that just a natural progression of your law practices, or did you have some specific interest in the subject? Uh, maybe, Josh, you want to go first? Yes, Vivian, this is uh, Josh Horn. So uh, my story starts about five years ago. My wife and I uh, took a uh, vacation to Colorado, and it was shortly after Colorado went adult use, and we figured while in Colorado, do as Coloradans, and we visited a dispensary to check it out. And while we're there, the, the bud tender said to us, so what can I do for you? And we jokingly said, nothing. We're from Pennsylvania. This is never coming to Pennsylvania. And we thought we'd just check it out. But the interesting thing, after we left, my wife turned to me, and I've been a trial lawyer now for 25 years, and she said, you know, what about this cannabis law thing? And so at that point, I became pretty avid reader on the subject, having read a couple of books, including um, Weed the People, uh, among others, and then started reading statutes and regulations around the country to become a subject matter expert. And here we are nearly five years later, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. This is Bill. My story's a little different, but not too dissimilar. I had been a uh, gaming regulator working for the Illinois Gaming Board for about eight years before uh, going to private practice. Uh, and it turns out that in Illinois and a bunch of other states, uh, some of the regulatory structures for uh, cannabis, in some instances, were modeled after gaming licenses. For example, in Illinois, they they decided to limit the amount of licenses to 60 dispensaries, 20 cultivation facilities, and you had to competitively bid for these licenses, just like you had to competitively bid for the 10 casinos in Illinois. So people just somehow, when I was in private practice, gravitated towards myself and my partner Donna who had both been gaming regulators and a bunch of folks asked us to help them with the applications in Illinois and that's just kind of how it started and then uh, Josh and I have been doing that now for people across the country. As you both provide counsel for businesses involved in the cannabis industry, what are a few of the leading issues that you work on? Do you spend a lot of time addressing traditional business-related problems, or does a lot of your work deal with aspects that are unique to the cannabis industry? Uh, This is Josh. Uh, I think it's really both. Um, You have traditional business issues, of course, but there's there's an additional overlay because you have the state federal dichotomy of the laws. So that always presents uh, interesting nuances in, in, in something that would otherwise be somewhat vanilla is really not vanilla anymore in the cannabis space. I would, I would agree. I was going to say almost the exact same thing. Just take a, a normal business lease for commercial space where you're going to put a dispensary. It's just your average lease. But now whether you're on the landlord side or the tenant side, you're going to have some provisions in there are pretty specific. Normal lease, for example, says the tenant will comply with all laws. Well, 
you'll comply with state laws, right? Uh, provisions always say, you know, you'll pay in cash or, you know, money order. Sorry, you'll pay in check or money order. Well, sometimes you may have to pay your rent with cash. So exactly like Josh said, there's this overlay which kind of experience or people have learned over the years that is on top of the traditional business issues. The last election saw some real gains for state legal cannabis here in the United States, specifically in Michigan and Missouri, also in Utah. What has changed? In your opinions, how do these new developments look to affect the current state of affairs here in the United States? Well, this is Josh, and I would say that what has happened in the last election cycle is just really a reflection of what uh, the people of this country want. And I think that is uh, you know, state-run uh, legal cannabis, either adult use or medical or the combination of the two. And I think uh, with this current election cycle, you see that the trend is uh, going in that direction as opposed to retreating. And I think that's at least my biggest takeaway. Bill? Yeah, and this is Bill. Uh, two points I really was thinking about at the time. A, one is like what Josh is talking about, which is where are you at with the tipping point, Right. Even before this election, I think most people had thought with the majority of states having legalized some form of cannabis, are we at that tipping point where the federal government, it's too challenging for them to pull it back, and there's no way back. I think we were already there, and now we're even more so. Uh, although we still have that problem with the federal-state economy, um, it's leaning more towards the state. And number two, for me, Utah was pretty significant because being a uh, also a gaming lawyer, which that used to be the majority of what I did in my practice. Uh, it's changed now with cannabis, obviously. But even Utah was the only state in the union which never allowed any kind of gaming. No lottery, no raffles, nothing like that. And the fact that they still have no gambling laws there, but yet they did get medical cannabis, is quite a testimony to where the cannabis field has grown. Now that we, people in Utah even have the opportunity to help them with their ailments. Speaking of where the cannabis uh, paradigm has grown, uh, President Trump has previously indicated plans to pursue federally legalizing medical cannabis uh, following the recent midterm elections under current U.S. law, as well as global drug policy agreements. Cannabis is still classified as Schedule One in the absolute most restrictive category. Can the president accomplish that? Uh, on his own, and what impact might descheduling cannabis from schedule uh, the current schedule designation have on banking and traditional financial services when it comes to cannabis businesses? Uh, this is uh, Josh Vivian. I, I think the president can do it in partnership with Congress. I think uh, there's two uh, uh, pieces of legislation that are out there that I think there's a distinct reality. Um, that they may come into existence. One is the Farm Bill of 2018, which would basically federalize and legalize industrial hemp, uh, which would uh, open up the market for CBD much greater than it is at the moment. And the second would be the States Act, which would basically uh, federalize cannabis uh, in states that have a state-run program. So if both of those or either of those really happen, I think you'll see 
banking in those states uh, where they have state-run programs should open up. And I think that's all part of the whole point. Um, after Jeff Sessions tore up the coal memo, um, Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, was quick to point out that Treasury had no intention of destroying the FinCEN memo, which basically gave banks and financial institutions guidance in the cannabis space. So I think you know, there is the impetus to do it, and I think there's um, a legislation out there that the president can grab a hold of. Bill, do you agree? Yeah, completely agree. And the only thing that's really, in my opinion, kind of the wild card is where the Senate's going to lay, right? If Congress is going to move together as a whole on this issue, you know, I think the new House, obviously, with the Democratic majority, uh, obviously would most likely go along with any of the out current proposals. And I think the president probably would, too. There's been some alleged indication of that. And uh, he's a populist. He, it's a vote-getter. question is really the Senate and where can we pull them. I think the Senate will be an easy call, and they've indicated this for the 2018 Farm Bill. For the States Act and finding a path to a federal legalization of cannabis, the Senate's going to be the glitch, uh, but hopefully maybe with the House on one side, the President on the other side, uh, there can put some pressure on the Senate. And some well-known Republicans are kind of having a come-to-Jesus moment with cannabis, with uh, John Boehner, for example, kind of doing yeah. a, a, a 180 are you guys do, do either one of you have a feel on on the finger of the pulse of the republican controlled senate like you just kind of mentioned you think that that have the congress and the president leaning on the senate to think that they'll they'll actually go for something like that well that's this, the, this, this is, is the, i'm sorry yeah i'm sorry bill you go no yeah i was just gonna say you know the interesting thing about you know obviously it's hard to pigeonhole every politician but generally you know the republican party has been a little tougher on on drugs and drug as a crime but at the same time you know generally the republican party has been more into personal choice people in states rights you know so i think there's a lot of republicans who are really like you said having a come to jesus moment and rethinking and saying we're into individual choice we're into states rights uh so the states have spoke and individuals have spoke why has the federal government got their foot on their throat? Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's a philosophical moment for a lot of Republicans, not just political. And I think this is the, if there's any year, 2019 uh, could be the movement where a lot of Republicans start thinking more about states' rights and follow through on uh, their speeches. Josh, hey, you want to add anything Josh, to that? Yeah, go, yeah go thanks, ahead. Vivian. And just to dovetail what Bill's saying, I'll take it one step further. I think it's also it's a dollars and cents issue. So um, let's take the Farm Bill of 2018, for example. Its main proponent is Mitch McConnell. Uh, senator from Kentucky. You know, Kentucky used to be the tobacco state. At one time, Kentucky's uh, largest crop was hemp. 150 years ago, in Pennsylvania, where I live, hemp was the largest cash crop in the state. So you're, there's a, an economic reason to make it happen. Now let's turn to the States Act. One of the co-sponsors there is Cory Gardner from Colorado. If you look at the revenue that Colorado um, realized in 2017, it's self-explanatory. Colorado uh, realized $250 million from its cannabis program. I mean, the, those monies will go to infrastructure, education, uh, and any other things, you know, as decided by uh, the Colorado government. So I think it's a, it's a dollars and cents issue as well as I think there really has been a come to Jesus uh, um, realization that this is what 
the people want. It's a state's rights issue, and, and that picks up on you know the whole notion of the States Act. I'm speaking yeah, to Josh Horn. I'm sorry, that. I got I to go to a break real quick. We'll pick that up. I'm talking to Josh Horn and Bill Bogot from Fox Rothschild. We're going to hear word from our sponsors, advertisers. Come right back. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches, allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z dot com. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. I'm back with Josh Horn and Bill Bogot. Bill, you wanted to uh, follow up on that last question? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Josh was talking about the dollar and cents issue about uh, legalizing cannabis, in particular hemp, in the proposed 2018 farm bill. And the other thing is dollars and cents are a big thing with the hemp, because right now the way the laws are written, uh, it seems to have more freely legalized hemp that comes from other countries in the U.S., yet hemp that's actually grown and sold as CBD, uh, for example, in the U.S. is more restrictive. And it just seems like for uh, a current administration is trying to keep jobs in America and keeping things the way they are seems to promote uh, imported products. So I think that's another impetus to get the 2018 Farm Bill passed so we can have more liberalized laws for growing and selling hemp within the United States. And, of course... All that might dovetail well with the criminal justice reform uh, attempts that are that are happening right now. We can we can only stay hopeful, uh, gentlemen. Every day, my inbox is is filled with emails about acquisitions and investment opportunities uh, within the cannabis industry. It truly is a brave new world that is growing day by day. In, in your opinions, are cannabis stocks overhyped, or is the cannabis industry at a point where people might consider getting on? getting in on investment opportunities to claim a stake uh, at the ground level of this nascent yet emerging industry? 
This is Josh. I think it, the answer to that question depends upon who you ask. Um, I think it's it's similar to what we've seen uh, previously in the in the um, internet era in the early and to mid 90s. Um, and I think um, you know there is a, a lot of excitement in the space, and I still think, in my view, uh, it's you're still getting it at the ground floor, uh, notwithstanding you know changes in the space. And I think uh, as as the industry develops, you'll see uh, more and more uh, consolidation, like in any industry, mergers and acquisitions, and you know, and until the banking issues resolved, uh, unique financing opportunities um, that clients who have capital or want to raise capital and deploy in the space. So I think there's a lot of unique opportunities uh, for for people and businesses at this time and and it's really it's still at the ground level bill yeah yeah no i i feel the same way you know in the uh, dot-com era is a some people call this the pot-com era but the reality of it is after the dot-com there were a bunch of uh, companies and people invested in some crappy companies but there's also really great sophisticated companies that became huge right from amazon to apple to ebay paypal Great companies that survived became mega S&P 500 companies. So we're at that stage now, and for investors, just like any investment, you know, uh, when you put your money into something, just research it and make sure you're familiar with it. But, you know, where it's going to be five, ten years from now, one can only imagine there's going to be some, there already are some great, huge uh, multi-state companies, and uh, most likely they're just going to be uh, even larger, more successful in coming years. But... With all investments, obviously, caution where you throw your money is always good advice. So perhaps those people willing to take the risk are going to be positioned well if that risk turns out like it was a good uh, a good move for them. Uh, like, like the United States, Canada's very new legalization model is a regional patchwork. Uh, how do you guys feel? Uh, how, how big of a game changer is Canada's substantial reforms? How might Canada's legalizing cannabis affect the U.S. pot industry? Uh, this is Josh Vivian. My, my my gut is that it's only going to promote what's happening here in the U.S. I think as as federally legal cannabis program in Canada really takes a hold, it will create more pressure uh, on our federal government to do something about its cannabis laws. And I and I think you know my hope is it's only going to push that in the direction that I think uh, the majority of the people in this country want. And that's some you know, some federal recognition and decriminalization of the cannabis laws and make it a, a truly national viable business. Well, this gets back to, this is Bill, what Josh was saying earlier about dollars and cents, right? When we see uh, U.S. companies and U.S. businesses leaving the U.S. to invest in Canada, right? When Constellation Brands does that big investment in Canada and they all start moving there, we're losing jobs and money uh, to Canada. You know, some of the more conservative members of our country uh, who allegedly want America first to keep jobs here, you know, it, it really need to start thinking about that, right? Uh, Canada is obviously, uh, you know, one of our, our closest friends in the United States. And we have some conservative members of Congress also talking about uh, how adverse it is for people to smoke pot and, and Jeff Sessions saying good people don't smoke pot. Well, you know, and I always look at a lot of our examples of average, average people in Canada who, you know, use adult use cannabis like they do alcohol responsibly and it works. 
So instead of people speculating, as they did in the past, what negative stuff would happen if they legalized it nationally, they have a great example. So hopefully that will resonate, uh, resonate in Congress this year. And, you know, and this is Josh Vivian. There's an old joke that goes with that. You know, 90% of the people will admit that they've tried cannabis and the other 10% lie about it. <laughs> um, so it was the other way around. Not sure. <laughs> um, speaking of alcohol, you know, I, I can't imagine like the wine industry, for example, if not only it was uh, limited to, to national borders, but limited to state borders. Um, Canada has legalized Mexico is probably about to do the same thing or in the process of it do you think there's a time not far down the road where not only is cannabis being sold from state to state in America but but internationally how big of of a challenge are these treaties these UN treaties and these global treaties that are preventing that kind of thing are uh, what, what, what needs to happen is just a schedule change enough or does something else need to happen to change that that paradigm uh, yeah this is uh, josh vivian M- my gut is if the u.s federal government takes the lead others will follow uh bill and i had the pleasure of being in israel uh, this past spring and we put together a cannabis conference and while we were there one of the things that was being debated uh was the approval of israel to sell its cannabis internationally and uh, if my recollection is correct, and Bill will correct me if I'm wrong, but that you know it was kind of put on hold because uh, at the time uh, President Trump was showing some reluctance to uh, push forward with some federal legalization of cannabis. But I think you know if we do it, others will follow, and uh, others are already doing it. You have Canada, and I believe, if I recall correctly, Uruguay uh, has a legal cannabis program. So I, I think it's, you know, if you have the biggest fish in the pond doing it, I think everyone else will follow. Yeah, no, I feel the same way, and I, you were talking about alcohol, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that sometime in the near future, uh, it will be more like alcohol. You know, I can buy Italian wine here, and in Italy they can buy uh, California wine, and I'm sure we'll have cannabis products and strains of cannabis products that will be imported and exported, uh, not too dissimilar to alcohol. Alcohol is pretty highly regulated, but, you know, you can still uh, buy it all across uh, the global book from different countries. It's taxed, it's regulated, it works. Uh, I don't see any reason why this should all be dissimilar. Well, now it's still federally legal. Uh, the, the, the RICO statute, I believe, uh, from 1964, provides that the private right of action against anyone engaged in racketeering mm-hmm. activities, uh, that there is a private right of action for uh, anything that includes federally punishable drug activities. And, of course, marijuana, manufactured distribution, racketeering, by uh, definition, is that activity. What risks does that pose to state legal cannabis businesses right now? How might they avoid that vulnerability? And I only have two minutes till the next break. Uh, Vivian, this is Josh. And that's an interesting question because there was a recent case in Colorado involving adjoining landowners. And, and the one landowner uh, asserted a RICO claim against the adjacent landowner saying their cannabis operation would destroy, you know, uh, their business or their their land, and that was rejected uh, wholly. And so I think um, I think that's 
that shows the handwriting on the wall. There is certainly still that risk, uh, but I think that risk as every day goes on is, is coming lower and lower, particularly in states that have a more and more mature program. Yeah, I agree. Just because the statute allows any person to bring a claim, you still have to have damages in standing. Uh, any person actually does not need any person on the street. It has to be someone who was injured and can seek redress and monetary damages. So you're going to have to show that you were directly injured by it. Um, and there's a lot of other elements to a RICO claim, but it's pretty complicated. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a hard for any person on the street to bring a claim alleging and uh, proving direct damages because of it. I'm speaking to Josh Horn and Bill Bogot from Fox Rothschild. We're going to take our second pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws here. We're from our sponsors and advertisers. Come back with our final questions. Time to roll out for the people that let us hem present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present. Uh... Now that cannabis has become legal in multiple states, what's the situation with employers who have people working for them who use cannabis either medicinally or recreationally? Do employers in these states have the right to fire an employee who might, say, fail a drug test or reveal their cannabis use on social media? Vivian, this is Josh Horn. I think that's a great question, and unfortunately, it's a pretty complicated answer, but I think the first place that everyone has to start the analysis is what the state laws provide. So, for example, in Pennsylvania, it has a specific anti-discrimination provision that you can't discriminate in, in hiring, firing, or compensation 
somebody who's uh, on the basis of, solely on the basis of them being in the medical marijuana program. But this certainly leaves the door open that an employer could then uh, hire somebody, uh, not discriminate them by hiring, but then issue a drug test and then terminate them after the fact. So it, it's an open issue, and it is one of the most litigated issues around the country uh, that uh, we actively follow. So it's, it's a pretty nuanced issue, but I think there are certainly employment issues for employers to be aware of and employees who use cannabis need to be sensitive to. Bill, you want to chime in in 30 seconds on that? Yeah, yeah. In fact, actually, uh, on our website, uh, Cannabis Landing Page, we did a white paper on employment laws across the country talking about this exact issue and and how the courts have ruled. Uh, Most states have laws called off-duty activity laws, which means you cannot be uh, fired or discriminated against for doing legal activity off-duty, like drinking alcohol, for example, uh, on Saturdays when you're not at work. And a lot of courts have held that that applies to state legalized marijuana. Colorado is one of the courts that did not, uh, surprisingly. But other courts, including some federal courts, have held that being a medical marijuana patient, for example, uh, you cannot be terminated or discriminated against in the hiring or firing. But it's a state-by-state issue for sure. Uh, So it's definitely things all employers should look at uh, for their employment manuals, for reasonable accommodation, uh, and different issues like that. Unfortunately, I have to terminate this interview right now. That website's found at foxrothschild.com. Joshua Horn and Bill Bogot, thank you for being on here present, and thank you uh, uh, for all your work in the in the industry. Thank you. Okay. We appreciate thank you so time. much. Now I'm going to get to a weekly feature of Hampersent on CannabisReader.com. That's the quote of the week, and here it is, and I quote, At what point did we determine that revenue was more important than our kids? That was then-acting DEA Administrator Robert Patterson responding in May 2018 to a question about a common belief that finances are driving progressivism in the industry. That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hempo sapien on our journey to justice as we silence the violence, increase the peace, and promote unity in the cannabis community with impunity. Because when it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Till then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, token easy, and don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com. The Hemp Present theme song to Pick Back the Plant is performed by Stickerbush and sung by a much younger version of myself. Turn up the music, maestro, because I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Code STAPLE20. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. 
or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.